How does a restaurant chain tied to a specific region of the country expand in other markets? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, I talk with Michael Osamu, the CEO of Portillo's, to discuss the popular chain's expansion strategy. Portillo's operates nearly 60 locations and has the highest volumes in the quick service chain space, taking in more than $7 million in sales per location. It is highly popular in its home Chicago market, but it has also thrived outside of there, having expanded to numerous other places like Florida or Arizona. Michael talks about the strategy for expanding and how the chain finds enough employees to staff its restaurants. He also discusses technology and the impact of delivery. Now, here's Michael Osanlu. Okay, I am here with Michael Osanlu. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to, t- uh, to chatting with you. So um, if I, you know, looking at Portillo's and, um, and if I start thinking of a handful of, you know, common conventions in the restaurant space, um, Portillo's tends to violate a lot of them. Uh, it has a very broad menu. It has very large locations. Um, why is Portillo's able to succeed by by sort of doing what it does. What's the secret there? Well, I mean, I think the secret, as with any great restaurant company, is that our food is absolutely phenomenal. And people people love when they come to Portillo's and eat. <clears throat> so I think that's a, that, in a nutshell, that's the key. But uh, I also think that we're a little bit of a unicorn when you think about the world of restaurants. We have speed and price points that are really consistent with most of quick serve restaurants, but we have quality and a dining experience in our restaurants that are much more consistent with casual dining. And there just aren't, there aren't other restaurants that do what we do uh, with that sort of price value proposition. Mm-hmm. Does the, um, does the, the broad menu, I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, it's, it's a remarkably diverse menu for, for basically a fast food, fast casual chain. Does that sort of kind of protect the brand? I mean, does that sort of kind of give it a moat, if you will? I mean, obviously, the more complexity you have in what you do, the more of a competitive moat you have. And I know that's something that Dick always talked about. I, I, <clears throat> I'm not, uh, I think we have some complexity on the menu. I don't. You know, I don't know if it's that much more complex than a lot of other QSR or even fast casual restaurant chains. We, um, if you talk about the dual concepts where we have a Portillo's and a Barnelli's, yes, absolutely, those are much more complicated. But a straightforward Portillo's, uh, I don't know if we actually have that many more skews or that much more complexity than anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Well, it. It it certainly does have you know some items on the menu that for that you know outside of Chicago you really can't get in in broad terms um, you know I mean not the hot dogs for instance really not that common at, at restaurant chains certainly Italian yeah. beef you can't get them at a lot of a lot of places and and I mean it's definitely a a a a Chicago restaurant for from that standpoint you can't really get well, that stuff anywhere else. Yeah, I would say, look, I, I agree with some of what you're saying there. So, look, mm-hmm. we definitely have some iconic, unique menu items. So our Italian beef, which I don't know if everybody knows, we have, we basically have two big kitchens in the Chicago area. 
where we slow roast that beef for six hours. We collect all the pan drippings. We use the pan drippings to make the gravy. Anybody who's experienced a Portillo's beef sandwich knows that it is just an incredibly delicious food item. So, yeah, we have Portillo's, uh, the Portillo's Italian beef sandwich, which is iconic and unique and no one does it. Our hot dogs and the style of, uh, in which we make our hot dogs, the Chicago style, is iconic and unique. And so those are two signature items that no one else does the way mm-hmm. we can. And I think we do better than anybody else. But that, that certainly uh, adds to some of the appeal. Here's the only thing I would say, Jonathan, that I'm I, – those food items actually travel really, really well. Mm-hmm. We're finding that people outside Chicago – when you introduce them to an Italian beef sandwich, they're you know they're they're getting it and they're loving it, and so I don't. Uh, yes, those are rooted in Chicago, but I don't know if they're geographically limited to Chicago. Oh no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they're geographically limited, and I think that's. I mean, you know, I mean, I just think certainly the concept of a beef sandwich is is you know just I mean Italian beef, but you know just you're putting beef yeah. on a sandwich and. And some other stuff. It's it's not like exactly. It's exactly foreign to most of the United States. It's it's just right. you just don't see it anywhere else. It's not it's not a very common menu item again outside of Chicago that much. Right. Uh, um. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that development because that's that's really where things have been very different for Portellos. Really, the past five years is that it's been it's sort of really doing what, at least from my perspective and looking at the growth numbers in the past couple of years, a pretty good job of, of sort of branching outside of its, of its home market where, you know, historically it was, it was largely confined to, to Chicago. Um, you know, I mean, it did develop in, in a couple of other places, but really in the last few years, it's really done a fairly good job of of sort of expanding beyond its own market. Could you talk a little bit about what the strategy is there and how it's been able to do that? Yeah. So I think um, uh, we have, we are obviously, this is a great brand. We're bought five years ago by a private equity firm. And one of, uh, one of the more reasonable uh, strategies was to expand the footprint beyond Chicago. I'm a big believer in when we expand, I think we need to be thoughtful about one, that we're building somewhere where we can achieve some local scale, right? I'd like to have a minimum uh, of five or six restaurants in any given market that we grow into. That's sort of criteria one. I'd like the market to be a market that is good for the restaurant business and particularly good for Portillo's. So I like markets that have either uh, already we have some built-in brand awareness or we have folks who have come, you know, come to and from Chicago and visit. So you can imagine there's a lot of very, very good Midwestern markets where Portillo's would fit in awfully well. Mm -hmm. I think over the last few years, we went uh, and we planted some flags in different markets. We will continue to fill those markets out, but we also need to be smart about how often we're uh, uh, going into a new market versus filling a market out. And so I think over the next uh, three to five years, you're going to see us really focused on Filling in markets and very, uh, very predictably and smartly taking on new markets. And so what I mean by that is, we're in Central Florida. We have two restaurants in Tampa. What I uh, what we just announced last week is that we're going to build a brand new restaurant in Orlando, and we're going to be you know just on the uh, on the footsteps of uh, Disney, just outside the Disney properties, a, a location that is you know amazing. 
that sees 52 million visitors go by it on their way to Disney. I think that's going to be great. I think Orlando, Tampa, Central Florida is going to be a great market for us. And so as opposed to, you know, next go to pick a geography, I want to make sure that we appropriately fill in that Central Florida market before we tackle some other places in Florida. Mm. Does that make sense, Jonathan? Well, yeah. And I mean, to me, it would seem like Portillo's would be a pretty natural fit in somewhere like Orlando. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, heck, you have a lot of people from Chicago going down there every um, all the time yep. anyway. Uh, but it, it just sort of would seem to be a, a pretty natural fit, large uh, scale restaurant with uh, some pretty pretty popular menu items in a place that uh, with a lot of human beings pass through on a on a yearly basis. Yeah. Um, so, but do you see? Is it like? A, do you imagine sort of kind of like slowing down the new the new market development, or is that is that what your what the strategy oh. is? No, no. Actually, we're accelerating. So mm-hmm. our build plans, you know, our build plans will continue to accelerate over the next three to five years. I think uh, we have just an enormous number of sites that would be fantastic locations for Portillo's. Uh, the only part of our business that kind of needs to get up to speed is our ability to train and open a new restaurant successfully. As, as you're, you're obviously familiar with the concept. Mm-hmm. Our volumes are not something that other, you know, that, that our volumes are not something that other restaurant chains are used to. And a lot of new employees who come and work for us, they're just not used to the kind of volumes that we do. So learning how to deal with the, uh, with, with the busy, busy, busy dynamic at a Portillo's takes a bit of time. And I want to make sure that we're not getting too far ahead of the development team's ability to train new employees. So we're going to be steady for the next year. I think 2020 is a very similar to 2019 for us, but I think in 2021, I think we're going to grow, you know, 50% faster than we have the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. How are you, um, how are you picking these, these new markets? Is there a strategy that, uh, that you're using um, to, to find a, a market where, where Pertillo's could, could fit nicely? Is there, is there, are there any, anything that you use in particular? Yeah, uh, I, we, we use a data toolkit that is uh, called Forum Analytics, which I think is fantastic, provides us a lot of thoughts and insights. I'm insistent that my development team gives me a market strategy before we go into a new market. Uh, and what I mean by that is I want to make sure that we're planful on where we think the new restaurants will be in a given market, even in the you know over the course of three to five years, because if you're not planful, you're, you're, you're going to go build a restaurant that maybe because of its location eliminated the opportunity to build two other restaurants that would have been just as good. And so I like to have a market-based strategy for each market going forward. I like to do consumer research to find out what level of brand awareness there is for Portillo's. I want to know if people know who we are. Am I going into a market where they know who we are and, and we can let the brand do some of the heavy lifting? Uh, and obviously, that's what I'm inclined to do, to go to markets where I think that there's growth, where I think that we will be well-received, that people know our brand, and go to markets where the brand can do more of the heavy lifting from the outset. Right. Um, one of the things that seems to have helped, certainly um, in, in recent years uh, with the expansion, is that you have you know, a lot of 
people who who were natives of Chicago or the Chicago area or they've they've frequently visited and you know sort of become brand ambassadors in some of your new markets. I mean that hurt you know, I live in Minneapolis um and I have some friends locally that know what I do and even now they still ask me when a new Portillo is gonna come up because they want one closer to their house. Um yeah. and uh, it seems like the loyalty of the fan base uh, tends to be a massive, massive strength um, for the brand is, you know, and even when it moves into some of these new markets, because it has some of those fans in these other places. Yeah, I think that's absolutely, look, I think that's a very important factor. Uh, Expat population from Chicago, you want that groundswell of support. So absolutely an important factor. And one of the many factors that we consider I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think you want to look at a lot of data. You want to triangulate what you think the business can do. And so I look at that, but I also look at the demographics in the given market. I like to do a little bit of consumer research and find out what do consumers, uh, do they know our brand in an aided and unaided way? And so there's a, there's a lot that goes into that, but you're, you're naming one factor that of course is very important. Mm-hmm. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about how, how are you able to staff these things up when you when you open, especially when you when when you open a new location, um, labor is sort of a major issue in the restaurant space. Um, you've already mentioned one one challenge is it's it's it is a these are very large restaurants with which do um, incredible unit volumes. And, and by the way, they um, I mean it, for a fast for a, any limited service chain, I I don't think that there is one. Um, on certainly on the scale of Portillo's that does the unit volumes that you guys do. Um, and frankly, very yeah. few full service chains do the unit volumes that you guys do. Um, so how, how are you able to get not only like enough staff to, to, you know, enough employees to staff these restaurants, but, but as well as like managers <laughs> and others who can handle that? Yeah, there's a, yeah, you're, you are, you are, um, you're touching on one of the biggest challenges that we have, and it's a very, very, uh, it's a very dynamic and complicated thing. So I'll tell you, we have, uh, not surprisingly, we have a restaurant that uh, we know we're building on Addison and Kimball in downtown Chicago. Well, we've had that GM identified uh, three months ago, and that restaurant is not going to open until sometime, you know, late spring, early summer. And that, and that restaurant manager, the GM of that restaurant, is getting trained as we speak. Uh, that restaurant GM gets to see how we open other new restaurants that we're opening in this fall. And we spend a lot of time, uh, money, and investment in that person getting them up to speed. So that's sort of number one. Number two is we begin a hiring process weeks before the restaurant actually opens. And we're getting uh, highly qualified staff on board. Being exciting and being Portillo's, I actually think that we get the benefit of seeing some very high-quality candidates early on. And then we're doing something, I think, very unique in how we train. We, um, we, our training regimen is based on speed. And so what I mean by that is we have the team in there, uh, we do during the training period, the, uh, the head of our training department is in there literally punching in orders on the register. And those orders are firing up on the kitchen display screens and the entire team is working their butts off. 
and he starts them off and he just pushes them and pushes them till they get to the breaking point. Then he backs off and he pushes them, pushes them, pushes them. And so what we're trying to train folks to do is to handle the volume of a Portillo's from the get-go. And that's, uh, and then we have a soft opening. That's now something that we do. We have a soft opening. It's not the grand opening, but we let people know that we're open. We do some uh, days that are designated to provide just free food to first responders. We uh, provide free food to Facebook fans and others. Uh, and then we cascade up for, from that to the grand opening. That whole process, what it does is it gives us leadership in the restaurant that is really on top of things, that knows how Portillo's looks, that knows how Portillo's functions, and understands how to handle the crazy volume of Portillo's. But it also gives us a team that gets some real good experiences. We call it, you know, it's almost live action fire. They get to see what it's like to be in a Portillo's and they get to have an opportunity to succeed with real volume uh, before they are overwhelmed uh, with uh, the grand opening. And that, that whole process, I think there's a lot of changes in that process, and that's how we uh, recently have pivoted to do it. And it's starting to really pay, uh, pay some dividends, mm-hmm. seeing really good results out of uh, our last couple of uh, new restaurant openings. So your last couple of new restaurant openings, they were better prepared for some of the volumes that they're going to see because, yeah, I mean, I mean, it does, especially during, you know, um, lunchtime and other periods. I mean, when I've, I, I have very few times been in a Portillo's that wasn't really, really, really busy. Right. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like you hit them hard, hit them hard during the That's training right. process. Right. It's a friendly hit as opposed to, you know, under the pressure of, a whole bunch of uh, new ga- new uh, new customers coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, about technology and, and delivery. What what are your strategies on on delivery? I know that that's something that you've been implementing, and, and where you guys stand with that. Well, I think look, delivery is um, whatever anybody believes about delivery. Delivery is real. It's here. It's a thing. And um, I think delivery has been helping our business a great deal. We have fantastic relationships with a couple of the third-party deliverers. Um, and so – and our food, you know, travels really well. Our food actually works really well. So in, in general, I think delivery is a great opportunity for us. I think it's still an evolving landscape, to be honest with you. Um, I think that we're going to have to keep our eye on it and keep seeing how things are going. Um, see how it works for us. You know, the challenges are the first wave of delivery, truthfully, was for guests who were relatively price inelastic, right, insensitive to price. And so we've we've had a lot of those guests, um, you know, get onto delivery. They've enjoyed it. But now delivery is becoming more prevalent. And and the reality is that the the intermediaries charge a lot of money for that uh, benefit. And so I think you're seeing a little bit more pressure on delivery. I like delivery. I think we need to figure out uh, a couple things from my perspective. We need to keep our eyes on is delivery, how much is delivery helping our guests? And are, 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 are the guests that are Portillo's fans, are we asking them to pay too much? Hmm. And so I think we need to keep our eyes on this. I don't want to uh, alienate the guests. The other dynamic, if, you know, just being honest, is you never, as a brand, I never like having my brand in somebody else's hands, mm-hmm. right? 
the minute you put your brand in somebody else's hands, you have opportunities for bad things to happen. And so that just makes me a little bit nervous. I, you know, we have an amazing brand. It's been built over a long, long time with a lot of love and passion in it. And when, you know, pick in the name, somebody goes to the guest and delivers our food. Uh, people don't always think of them as DoorDash, Uber Eats, or Grubhub. They think of them as, as Portillo's. And when something goes wrong, I'll guarantee you, you know who they're calling? They're calling Portillo's. They're not calling uh, the DoorDash. And so we need to be really careful about that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, um, I think that, you know, getting the, the price point, the, 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 the consumer uh, pricing issue tends to be a, a very big one. Um, to me, it seems like if I'm looking out forward, it tends to, you know, limit the growth prospects simply because I, I mean, I mean, it's at least from my experience, it's not just, I mean, the delivery providers are charging quite a bit. Um, a lot of restaurant chains have started shifting more of the cost burden onto, onto, um, uh, onto the consumer. And the, the problem is that if you're spending, if I'm spending more money on one particular visit, am I less likely to go again? And for a lot of consumers, I think that's a real choice. Um, you know, in certain subs, as you mentioned, a certain subsegment of consumers, you know, are, don't care about the price. It convenience matters and, and they're willing to pay for it. And frankly, they should, the problem is that how big of a consumer base is that really? How many occasions is it? And that tends to be sort of a limiting factor going forward to me is looking just delivery on a, on a broad sense. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think I don't know how the world of delivery is going to play out. I think for now we need to be smart and be assessing it. I, I think there's an argument that as a brand that wants, you know, wants its brand represented well, wants to make sure that it's, uh, guests don't necessarily uh, pay more than they should. I think there's an argument that we would uh, potentially look at getting into the delivery business ourselves or potentially figuring out how to make off-premise easier, so pickup easier, things like that. I'm a big believer in frictionless sales, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to make it as easy as possible for my guests Uh easy as possible for them to come visit us, to buy from us, et cetera. And delivery is probably a component, but I think right now, I don't, I'm not sure anybody's got a great answer. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen, you know, the companies that have taken on delivery themselves, um, certainly on a larger scale, Panera Bread and, and, and Bloomin' Brands have both started adding third-party delivery services to their to their roster simply because yeah. these providers these 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 providers have sort of developed their own customer bases already um yeah and uh well you know i think about that differently jonathan i think that there are people who say hey i absolutely want uh something delivered and that's a need state and that's a mind frame of reference right so somebody who says i'm home i'm tired i want food delivered I think there's somebody else who says, well, I really want to eat Portillo's right now. What are my options? And so the person who says, I just want my food delivered, that you're right. That is a, you know, pick your, uh, pick your vendor, but that's, that's their customer. Whereas the person says, I want Portillo's. I wonder how I can get it. I view that as my customer. And so maybe for the person who says, whose need state is, I just need delivery. I'm not going to try to compete for that business. But the person who says, hey, I, I really, I'm, I'm craving some Portillo's. How do I get my Portillo's? That is a different 
that's a different experience and maybe that's an experience I need to figure out. No. Do you do you don't think that do you think that it's it's gotten to a point at all that that brands um have to be on one of these major service providers or not? I think it's awfully close. No. I think it's awfully close. I think I think it's awfully close. I think delivery done well is accretive to the business. It creates some incrementality. It's not I know everybody's got an opinion on this. It's not there's some cannibalization, it's, but it's, a, it's an accretive need state. And so I think that m- most, uh, most well-run brands have a relationship with these folks. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I want to ask you a little bit about, about real estate. You have some fairly, you know, your, your real estate needs tend to be a little bit different than I think most, uh, certainly most um, developing uh, limited service chains are there right now. How, how are you seeing the, the real estate market? Are you able to find enough sites to, to put your locations, or is that, that a kind of a challenge right now? Well, I would tell you that, that for us, finding sites is probably the easiest thing out there. So there are a, you know, we're only at 61 restaurants, and so there are a ton of sites for Portillo's. And so I am not concerned about finding the right number of sites. Uh, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, what I am really thoughtful about is I only want a plus sites. I don't want to get, I don't, I don't feel, uh, that we should be rushing. I don't feel like we should be doing anything, um, uh, you know, anything other than being very thoughtful about absolutely a plus sites. And so that, that's, uh, that's where my mind is at. Right. Um, do you, you traditionally, um, build new, don't you, or, or have you, uh, uh, started yeah. looking at, you don't? No, no, we always build new. Mm-hmm. I am, I am looking at, there's a couple places, you know, my development teams have said, Hey, do you think that, are there places where we could, uh, maybe, uh, take an existing building and restructure it? And I'm very open to that. I'm not, uh, I am not, uh, I'm not opposed to that, but I am opposed to doing anything that uh, anything that brings the level of quality down. I want to build beautiful restaurants. Our restaurants work really, really well when they're beautiful, when they're well built, um, and they provide a lot of exciting sort of eye candy. Right? There's got to be there's a visual impact to a Portillo's that is undeniable, and so I want to make sure that that's also happening. Right. Well, I. I- yeah, well, I, I still think it's it's fascinating that I'm I'm talking to the CEO of a of a of a you know fast food company, and you're talking about visual you know visual interest in your sites. It's just not really something that you hear about in the in in the restaurant yeah. business in these days. Certainly in limited service business at all. Um, you know, that's again, it's just it's it's one of the things that makes that brand as as unique as it is. Yeah. And I think it's actually one of those sneaky things that's unbelievably important to the brand. I think if we were to, you know, if we were to uh, not pay attention to this, we'd be doing the brand a huge disservice. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. It's you know, it it can be easy. I think in a business and uh, to you know to take little shortcuts here or there, make some single you know simple compromises. But if if I mean to me, it seems like the brands that have that have refused to do that. Um, have tended to succeed far more than those that do make these compromises. I mean, the, the industry to me is too competitive, um, you know, to take shortcuts. Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, everybody, you know, 
I think that there's a lot of people who are basically going down the path of commodity food, right? Mm -hmm. They're cutting the costs on the restaurant. They cut the costs on the food. They compete purely on, on, on price, put a lot of TV ads in place. I think once you're on that path, you're in trouble. We do not want to sell. We want to sell really, really exceptionally good food in a beautiful environment. And I think that's how I would like us to be differentiated from, uh, from uh, a lot of other people in QSR and fast casual. Super. Sir, this was uh, fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time out for us this week. Thank you very much. It was nice talking to you. And that's it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which, as always, was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer and the executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine. Thank you for listening.